Hello and welcome to another episode of the Menswear Style Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Brooker, and on this episode, I'm going to be speaking to Casper Brandy Peterson. Casper's the creator of companies and clothing. LabFresh is what we'll be talking about today. So LabFresh, you might have seen these guys already on the thumbnails of Bloomberg and YouTube, people throwing wine at garments and it just poof, bouncing off like bullets on Batman's suit. Um, so LabFresh, let me read off the little blurb here. LabFresh fight fast fashion by using technology to make a new generation of life-proof menswear, premium cotton shirts that repel stains and odour, buy less, wash less, wear more. Okay, so we'll get into that interview shortly. In the meantime, make sure you're heading over to menswearstyle.co.uk. That's where we'll put all the show notes from this interview, plus links to articles on fashion, obviously. Travel, not so much anymore. (laughs) Competitions, etc. That's all over at Menswear Style. Make sure you're following us on the social. That way we'll keep you updated when we post new articles, new podcast episodes, whatnot. Menswear Style, type that into your smartphone. We'll come up. Lastly, if you want to get in touch with the show, maybe you want to talk about your brand, it's info at menswearstyle.co.uk. Okay. Here is that interview with Casper Brandy Peterson, co-founder of LabFresh. Well, it's my great pleasure to introduce Casper Brandy Peterson, co-founder of LabFresh. How are you doing today, Casper? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on. Casper, let me ask you, whereabouts are you in the world? I am in uh, Amsterdam right now. Uh, I'm originally from Copenhagen and I moved here seven years ago. Uh Aha. Okay. Well, the home of James Bond, the diamonds are forever. I'm sure you're aware. Um, (laughs) (laughs) On a more timely note, um, Casper, for the uninitiated, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of who you are and how you got to start LabFresh, please? Uh, yeah, well, it's a little bit of a longer story, but uh, I moved here uh, to start my first business, which was a personal shopping service for men. Uh, we had a crazy ride uh, with a lot of venture capital and a lot of people. And when we sold it in 2016, I had to move to Berlin. And I was sitting there together with my favorite colleague and my girlfriend at the time. And we started looking into all these nice technologies that we saw in uh, sportswear and in uh, in the Danish army. And we thought, let's try to put this into normal fashion clothing and uh yeah that's basically what we did in 2017 putting it on kickstarter with the video we made in our apartment and uh yeah that went viral and now uh, now we have a real business dip into the kickstarter campaign why was this such a success what do you put that down to it's always hard to say uh i think there was this authenticity authenticity to the campaign because originally uh we were just bought in germany uh, some guys to go the company and I didn't have to, to work that much. And that, then it was just a passion project. And we just wanted to drive around in a van and look in and live in nature parks and run a business from our laptops. Right. So we, we weren't really trying to sell that hard, but then uh, it went viral. Uh, Lab Bible and Vice magazine and a lot of media picked it up. And then, uh, yeah, people were buying into it because of that. On, on Kickstarter, people just, just want to help passionate entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, it's a great place to go, but it's it seems like such rarefied air that you hear great success stories coming from Kickstarter. So I'm always curious to know what that magic ingredient is when people do succeed. So what were your goals, uh, well, so, like your financial goals for it to start with? Uh, we set a minimum goal of just 20,000 euros. 
and that was what we needed to start the first uh, batch production in Portugal. Uh, then it's also important to say that I, of course, had a business before within e-commerce that became uh, quite big. So I, I know how to scale and online marketing and so on. Um, and that was not probably a part of why, why it would blow up. Mm. And what business was that? That was the personal shopping business. Uh, it was called The Cloakroom. Uh, and it's sort of similar to what you have in the UK that's called Threat. Oh, yeah. Threat.com. Okay. So this was more of a lateral move for you to get into garments and, and specialize in your own brand. Yeah, it actually, it actually came from this annoyance of how a lot of brands were being run. Uh, whenever I was excited, I was doing the buying and we were buying from Paul Smith and Hugo Boss and some health and so on with the cloakroom. And when I was speaking to these guys and I was excited about new technology, they really didn't care about it. Uh, they just wanted to keep making nice designs and seasonal collections. And that, that deeply annoyed me because, yeah, I have this ingrained belief inside of me that you can use technology to make almost anything in the world better. So if you can create clothing that you wash less and that will last for many years, then you buy less clothing also. That's good for, the, for your wallet, but it's also good for the whole planet. Yeah. And the only one it's not good for is the fashion industry. And I don't <laughs> care about the fashion industry. Because so. it, it doesn't fit their narrative of wanting to sell more clothes, right? I mean, as soon as you move away from that element of, oh, this can actually help you in the long run by buying less clothes and just making the ones more sustainable, the ones that you have, then that kind of defeats the purpose for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was what uh, astounded me in the beginning when we tried to sell these type of technologies to existing brands that they were not interested because it would mean that a loyal buyer of uh, Hugo Boss shirts would buy uh, five shirts a year instead of 10 or 15. And that's, of course, bad business. Yeah. And what is the technology exactly? So um, I'm just going to paint the picture a little bit, if you don't mind, Casper, for what people might have already seen. I'm sure they've already seen online. On your website and through YouTube, Bloomberg articles, you'll see um, men dressed in either very dark navy blue polos or white shirts, and they're having pints of milk and red wine thrown all over <laughs> their garments and this it's almost like some kind of kevlar it's just bouncing off them so explain to me some of the technology that we're using in these garments and why we haven't seen this technology incorporated before yeah so uh first to say is that we don't hold patents so we only use existing technologies uh, we bundle different textile treatments together and then we have the exclusive rights to that treatment mix. And uh, yeah, we do that in Switzerland, where they are really great at this stuff. Uh, it's obviously not a cheap place to make fabric, but uh, it's a cheap place to develop uh, new versions all the time. Whereas if we do it in China or something, then you make one fabric and you stick with that for a long time. And um, yeah, there's nothing special about the fabric in itself. It's just cotton. Sometimes with a bit of stretch, but just cotton. Uh, it's mainly about treating the fibers so that they uh, close off for other fluids with, uh, without compromising on the breathability. Okay, that's interesting. And so how long has this been around for and how come it's not been installed in, in garments before this? So I would say that any brand with a decent amount of resources and commitment would be able to get this kind of technology up and running in within one year. Wow. Uh, the issue is that it makes it a lot more expensive to produce and it's a, a lot more complicated in the supply chain because you have to go back and select your own uh, grace fabric and cotton fibers and so on. And, right. and, and most, 
most fashion brands they will just buy fabric through through their supplier they will never go to a mill or go to a cotton farm mm. so uh yeah and then it just takes a long time to produce and uh, at the same time when you then pay more to make a shirt and people will buy less per year because they they will look good for longer mm. then it just doesn't make sense for, for an established brand to push it I just don't think they're seeing the big picture here, Casper. I mean, I'd love to go to some of these parties where we're all sitting around a dinner table just throwing stuff at each other like some kind of Greek wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine those videos going by. Oh, that's exactly why it was was like a land Bible and and vice and so on. These kind of uh, media picking up because they thought it was hilarious to throw stuff on our shirts. And I, I also still think that's fun. Okay, <laughs> I, I mean, it's it kind of sells itself, really, just through that USP, doesn't it? I mean, um, my only, I wouldn't even call it a concern, but if I was in your shoes starting up a company with this kind of ethos, how would I be able to introduce a new brand to the market with a price point that would justify a new brand, if that makes sense? Obviously, people are willing to pay money for recognized brands. Some people are, but... New brands typically, when they have a slightly more increased price point, is always that reticent because they don't have the established loyalty brand. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. You always have to provide an extra value so that you justify this switch. And especially for men, they uh, they are incredibly loyal to brands they have. You know, they, men would stick with their Nokia phone for a very long time. And so on, and they will buy their Levi's five hundred one every year, ten years in a in a row. So, yeah, in in our case, we offer them the opportunity to uh, you know wear the same shirt for five days in a row. And once you get into that conformity, what can you say that um, uh, it it just makes life a lot easier that uh, you don't have to worry about what you're gonna wear every morning. Yeah, Casper, I want to know about your time on Dragons Den. <laughs> I am yes. hooked on that TV show. Can you tell me about how it all worked? They approached you, you approached them. What what was the uh, what was the process? Yeah, well, my girl, girlfriend slash co-founder and I have been watching every season of uh, of Shark Tank in the US, and we love it. Mm. So we actually first did it the Danish version of Dragon's Den in uh, two thousand seven uh, two thousand and eighteen, and then uh, last week we did it in the Netherlands. And uh, yeah, both both times it's uh, it, has, it has just been incredible because people instead of seeing a brand or a Facebook ad, they see Casper and Lotte, two actual authentic people who are putting all their time and personal savings into a project. Uh, so yeah, it has been blowing up with uh, now yeah more than sixty five thousand people going to the website and uh, you know thousands of orders and yeah, it's just insane we just sit on them on the live chat every evening until bedtime and talk to talk to customers <laughs> so cool so the british version did they come to you did you go on the british one or was it the shark tank the u.s one that you went on no we uh we went in the danish version of dragon's den and in the dutch one ah, okay. two years between i see and what did they offer you at the end or did they offer you anything uh, yes, we uh, in both shows, uh, the dragons liked our products and uh, gave us an offer, and we took uh, took uh, the deal in both shows. Nice. Uh, in the in the Dutch one that we did last week, we got it was from uh, two dragons. One of them is actually my age, thirty four years old, and she has she's called Nikki Pleasant, and she has a brand called Nikki. 
which mm-hmm. is very, very big and successful. So, you know, it's quite a privilege to be able to pitch in front of someone like that. And were, how are your nerves? Because I always try and put myself in the boots of the people doing the pitches. I've got very little experience of talking in front of people. I'm okay behind a microphone where no one can see me. <laughs> I've got the the privilege of the editing yeah. facilities. But actually getting in front of people, in front of cameras, how did you prepare for that? Yeah, I would love to say that I was this stone-cold pitcher with uh, with no problems, but uh, the reality is that they make it really uncomfortable. Like that, this there's this music in there, and then you stand behind a curtain, and then there's a red light blinking, and when you walk down the staircase, and these five multi-millionaires are looking at you, uh, yeah, it's hard not to be uncomfortable. And then uh, what people don't realize is that you're in there for an hour, even though in the in the in the, in the TV program it looks like five minutes. Yeah. And for that one hour, in the beginning, they're really tough on you, and they make you feel uncomfortable, and they criticize a lot of what you do. And then uh, they nice and slowly shift into praising you a lot and being crazy nice. At, at least that's that's how it was for us. So then you go from feeling really uncomfortable because you just think they don't like you to being very humbled because they say such nice things. Right, they take you through the emotional roller coaster by the sound of it. Yeah, exactly, like a real TV program. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also they're trying to, I guess, be a bit disarming. You know, trying to be, you know, overly scrutinising when they perhaps don't need to be, and then lure you into a false sense of security. Be nice, and then really lump something on you. Yeah, but also, um, it's not uh, like if you look at how our company was doing uh, in our first year because we were lucky to go viral. The numbers are quite extraordinary uh, for revenue and so on so on paper it just looks like what the hell happened here Uh, which gives us a lot of confidence when we talk to investors can anyone else invest now casper the reason why i I asked that is because i interviewed a a gentleman for his company called uh, just wears it's a underwear brand he did something similar he went through the kickstarter campaign almost followed your trajectory went on dragon's den and through his website, you can actually now become a part of his journey and invest and be part of the brand. Is there anything that you have that's open to the public like that? Uh, we have been considering it because we actually did take a couple of angels in who were just customers. But, uh, yeah, we took a million euros in now in investments. And, you know, it is Corona times and so on. But we, yeah, we also have some public funding to do our, to do our research from MIT and um, MVPSO here in the Netherlands. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think necessarily more money would, uh, would uh, make us happier right now. <laughs> okay. And you touched upon COVID-19. How has that affected supply chains? How has that affected demand? What, what kind of ramifications are we seeing here? Yeah, well, we call it the biggest roller coaster uh, ride of uh, our career so far. Because it's it's just so extreme. First, there was just a drop. And for two weeks, there was barely an order in the store. And that never happens across all the countries, right? We, we No country is more than 25% of our revenue. So it's just spread all over. And then everything just stops. And then we have no idea. Tomorrow, are we going to do 10,000 euros or 1 euro? And then um, after a little while, the rebound starts. And now because of Dragon's Den, it's a big rebound. And then... Um, yeah, then it looks better than ever. So it seems like people were a little bit nervous, but now because they prefer to buy online, it's good for us because we only sell online. Interesting. And and then uh, yeah, I, I can see uh, that people do expect deals 
So we normally never do discounts, and now we did a few discounts uh, for two weekends. Right. And that's probably necessary now to survive as a brand. Yeah, and and also to offer people something, I guess, in times like these, you know, something to give back, I guess, to the the fashion community is always nice. Yeah, and then as an entrepreneur, I always I have always been a, an aggressive young man, you know, not that young anymore, but I always wanted to grow really hard. That's why I've been uh, raising a lot of venture capital for my businesses. And this year, I have to accept that we probably only grow very little. Mm. Maybe we grow 5%. And as a startup founder, that feels horrible. But then I have to shift my mindset and say, hey, and we're going to make a profit this year. I have been unprofitable for seven years in a row. So now I'm excited about making the first profit profit of my career. <laughs> nice. How old are you, Casper? Yeah, I'm 34. Okay, so that's no age at all. I mean, you can uh, still got another three or four marriages in you. You know, <laughs> it's, it's it's by no well, means I, I, over. I can't do that anymore. You know, I'm, I'm marrying my co-founder. You know, it's uh, oh, yeah. it's intense. I can't really go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's next for the brand? I mean, what are we going to be doing now with the new investments? What can you see happening? So, uh, I very much believe that the only way to come out stronger from a crisis is to act on the opportunities in front of you. And uh, this crisis is also full of a lot of opportunities. And some people will get a little bit annoyed when I say that. And I also get it. And, you know, my mom lost a job and a lot of my friends, and we also had, had to fire two people that were really good performers. So, yeah, but I have to look at the opportunities. So to me, that is uh, retail stores. Uh, there's a lot of empty stores around Amsterdam and Copenhagen now. I think we can get some really nice short-term contracts. Uh, so, yeah, we want to open stores in some prime locations uh, starting in Amsterdam and hopefully also Copenhagen. That is fascinating, yeah. I, do you know what? I've been weirdly and I suppose a bit macabrely trying to get into that mindset as well. I, I heard a phrase, I think it's a political phrase, that never let a good crisis go to waste. So when there is something yes. that's happening, I mean, as horrible as this, there's always some angle yeah. in where you can perhaps you know boost the business and again benefit your investors and and everyone yeah. else's life around you right so and no one likes seeing empty yeah. stores who likes seeing empty bricks and mortar not me exactly and uh, you can get really nice short-term contracts now i feel uh normally you have to sign for five or ten years for an attractive location and now maybe we can get a two or three year contract yeah and i bet speaking from experience in these sort of things you can probably get good negotiations on rates overheads yeah so everything else thrown in so yeah no oh, good luck yeah that. and then uh, another thing is that uh, this is a good time to reflect on what kind of company that we want to have right mm. and uh, i feel like we were pretty innovative with company culture we we took the whole team of 13 people to bali last summer and then we work in, a, in an office in the rice field for a month huh. and we surf in the morning and we get a lot of work done but we also bond and have fun oh. and uh you know, we we have a very creative office on our favorite canal and so on, uh, combined with the showroom. But um, the fact is, we still sit in the same office around the same table five days a week from nine to six. And mm. I don't really need that. So now uh, we will cancel the lease and then we will sit in various stores. Mm. We will work from home. We will sit in house one or two days a week. And then, uh, yeah, we try to uh, have a, a much more out-of-the-box uh, outside of the box office culture yeah. than we have had in the past. I think there's going to be a lot of businesses shifting their template around now as well, seeing how well it works with people working away yeah. from the office. Um, so I always say, just look, 
the underline is as long as everybody's working and they hit deadlines, they can take a couple of hours off if they need to and walk the dog, what have you. But, you know. And I don't care how many hours you work, as long as you get a lot of shit done. Yeah. And then uh, one week you might work less and the sun is shining and you relax. And other weeks I will need you in the weekend and late in the evening. And then you do that too. And I think the people that do take advantage will soon get found out. <laughs> because, you know, when deadlines aren't hit for the first couple of excuses, then you go, oh, this was the guy that didn't get up until 10 a.m. <laughs> gotcha. Yes, we... Uh, we we, we offer people six months contracts. So the first three contracts you get from us, it's for six, from, for six months. Hmm. And if it doesn't feel 100% right, then it's better to, to stop. And after three contracts, you can get an indefinite contract. Right. Okay. No, that's good incentivization. I love the barley thing. I mean, I'm actually supposed to be out there right now. I had to cancel my trip. We were going oh, yeah? we to go hang out with some Komodo dragons. It was going to be a, a whole two to three week backpacking tour. And I don't know when that's ever going to happen again. But Well... The scene there is really wild. In, uh, in Ubud and Chengdu, there are so many co-working spaces and thousands of digital nomads, and everyone are sitting and working on their own online businesses, and I find it really inspiring. Mm. Yeah, and the food's great and, as well, yeah. I've seen. Yes, yeah. and this year we, uh, we, we want to go to, to South America for a month. We want to do it every year for one month to do a remote trip. Oh, wow. Because why not? Casper, where do I sign up? you. <laughs> i can throw some wine on some clothes no problem yeah 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 it's not so hard and shoot it with your phone and you got an instagram app <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant listen casper i've really enjoyed speaking to you the website labfresh.eu is the place that people should be heading and and really just fall, fall down a couple of rabbit holes. There's some great content on there. You can learn all about the technologies, the sustainability, as well as the clothes and the garments looking pretty cool and fresh as well. And it has this very a wardrobe for life, as in the garments aren't ostentatious with big, huge graphic logos on the front. So these are garments that kind of serve over time. You know, they can uniformly sit in pretty much any occasion. It's like a minimalistic Scandinavian design. That's the only thing with us. We are very much inspired by... Um Tiger Sweden and Philippe K and Samsa Samsa and these kind of uh, Scandinavian brands. Yeah, the minimalism. That was the word I was groping for. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit that <laughs> word in later as my own. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> okay, Casper, I'll let you go. But thanks again for taking time out of your day. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Brilliant. Casper Brandy Peterson there. Thank you, Casper. Labfresh.eu is the place to go and check out those amazing futuristic garments. That's it from me. Uh, thank you all for listening. Make sure that you're liking, subscribing, you're smashing the like button, as those kids say. <laughs> it does help us, in all seriousness. Leave a review, uh, tell a friend, and uh, all that gubbins. In the meantime, Info at menswearstyle.co.uk is the place if you want to send us a message and if you want to get in touch, maybe be on the show. So until next time, remember it's only fashion, people, and you're never fully dressed without a smile. <laughs>